Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, it's time for another Deep Dive. Everybody's been super excited to hear about the Kraken's development camp, all that stuff. We can touch on all the free agency stuff, some big names still out there. But before we do literally anything else for this episode, RJ, we gotta plug the merch. Yes, absolutely. We've forgotten to the last couple podcasts. Need to do it now. And makes sense to do it, too, because we have some brand new merch that's been very popular. That's right. We've got two awesome designs to celebrate the Kraken getting Shane Wright in the draft just a week ago. Like, it's, been, it's barely been over a week. Gosh, everything's been moving so fast around this. Um, some awesome designs there that everybody's been loving. My personal favorite is the three wrongs make a right. I just think that design is fantastic. And then the other day, as uh, Dev Camp was going, we debuted a new one. Why don't you talk about that one? We did. So uh, it's the Furcus Circus. Uh, that is Jagger Furcus's nickname. Uh, he even mentioned that when they visited the Space Needle, too. Like, Furcus Circus at the Space Needle. Well, he called it the mini CN Tower. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Furcus Circus. It's got the little circus ticket on it, uh, the tent and everything with the hockey sticks. I think it's a cool design. Uh, and, of course, like, how could you not like Jagger Furcus? I mean, he the Furcus Circus was in town at Dev Camp. He was trying a bunch of cool moves, deking through guys, going between the legs. He is such a fun player to watch, and uh, yeah, we're, we're going to enjoy rooting for him for a long time. Exactly. So, as always, link to all the merch will be in the description below. And now that we've got that out of the way, we can dig into the main topics this week, RJ. <laughs> um, yes. So, obviously... There was the draft, there was free agency. We talked about the, the Kraken's larger free agency moves in a separate video, kind of a day one recap. We planned on doing a day two one, but guess what? They didn't do anything, and then they didn't do anything again, and they still haven't done anything. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put the link to that as well. I know, you know, over a thousand of you watched that. That that was awesome. That video is doing really, really well. Um, but why don't we go ahead and talk about some of the signings that didn't make the cut for that video? Right, because the Kraken did sign a number of players uh, that didn't make it onto that video because one of their biggest goals this offseason, they have to fill out their entire AHL roster with the Coachella Valley Firebirds uh, coming into existence. They now have a full AHL roster uh, to fill out. And so Ron Francis went to work on the first day of free agency trying to bring in a bunch of players for that. Uh, and there are a few names that I wanted to talk about, go a little bit more in depth. Uh, and I'll start with Magnus Helberg. So Helberg is a big six foot five Swedish goalie. He's 31 years old. Um, he has five NHL games in his career, ranging from 2013 to 2022. Uh, so just little bits in the NHL. Um, but really, he's excelled on a few different teams as one of the best goalies in the KHL. That's where he spent most of his career. Um, and of course, with everything going on, he's coming back to North America and Really, it wouldn't surprise me if he comes into camp and ends up looking better than one of Martin Jones or Joey Decord. Uh, he's got this really good record of being very good in the KHL, and I'm, I'm interested to see what he's able to do here. Yeah, exactly. Anytime you can get somebody who has that level of experience at multiple different levels, I think it's always good for uh, an AHL team, right? Which is, you know, it's a farm system team. And I feel like you need a mix of the young guys you're trying to, you know, get ready for the NHL and stuff versus also just being able to field a good AHL team and surround those younger players with professionals who have had long careers. And uh, this signing just fits that perfectly. Exactly. 
so the next one I want to talk about real quick is Andrew Pucharalski. I, I Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Um, he is a 28-year-old 5'10 center, um, probably going to spend most, if not all, his time in the AHL. Uh, but, man, he tore up the AHL last year. 101 points in 71 games. Uh, he definitely can score. So I'm interested to see if the Kraken maybe have some injuries. They have an opening at 4C. Maybe he gets to play in the NHL uh, a little bit this season. And it, well, we know he can score. Actually, last season he had uh, two points in two games with the Hurricanes. So point per game player at the NHL level. Huh? Huh? Yeah, I mean, you never know. He was the leading scorer in the AHL last year with 101 points. So it's not just like, oh, this is in, you know, the queue and someone put up, you know, 100 points. Well, like 75 players do that, right? No, this is this does mean something. This is, you know, the second highest level of hockey in North America that he did that at. And um, yeah, I, I'm excited by this signing. And I do think that if there was circumstances allowed for it, I do think the Kraken would give him a shot. And that would be really, really fun to see. Sure. All right. So the last one I want to talk about and maybe fun to see in a different way uh, is John Hayden. So uh, let's just start off with, with some basic stats here. In 240 career games, he only has 35 points. But he's got 283 penalty minutes. So you know what he's here for. Mm -hmm. uh, if the Kraken feel the need to maybe bring up a guy to fight someone, he's the guy. Yeah, basically. Um, and, you know, this is still much more of a thing in the AHL. It's kind of players like him have been phased out of the NHL for the most part. Like, you kind of have to contribute. Like, Zach Cassian kind of is more the, the, the speed of the modern-day enforcer, I would say, where they are capable of contributing on offense, playing with star players. They they have a little bit more of a skill set beyond just being able to drop the gloves. But, you know, it is still hockey at the end of the day, and there are still circumstances at times that dictate uh, having players like that around. So every every organization, you know, you got to have a couple guys that can that can do that if needed. And you can't knock the bravery because last season we did see he fought Jamie Alexiak. That is true. And, uh, that's no easy task. That is true. It takes a lot to do that. I I, I really think so. Um, yeah. So uh, obviously. AHL signings. We knew it had to happen. We knew it was going to happen. Uh, it's going to be really fun to see the Firebirds, wherever they are over the course of this season. Uh, really excited for that. Love to see the amount of merch I saw just attending dev camp, all the, all the attendees uh, there, whether it was for the scrimmage or, or just the other practice days. Lots of Firebirds merch out there. Obviously at KCI, the store upstairs had a, had a whole table of it. It was really awesome to see that logo just never gets old. It is sick every time I see it. I absolutely love that because uh, let's be honest, RJ, AHL teams, it's not the greatest track record of logos there. No, I, I'd say not. Um... But hey, you occasionally get the brilliance of saying Iowa Chops. You remember that team? Yes. The yes. pig logo? Yep, exactly. So, but a lot of those are defunct, unfortunately. Yeah, so uh, super happy to see just how the fans have already embraced this team. Super excited to see how the roster shakes out and uh, and to see them get playing soon. Uh, we're just a couple months away from the second Kraken season, from the Firebirds first season. I mean, like, it's I'm starting to get excited all over again. Dev Camp really did that. Um, but before we move past all the free agency stuff, before we really dig into the Dev Camp stuff, 
Got to talk about some big names out there still in free agency that have not signed with teams and, and two names in particular that all along have kind of been floated with the Kraken. So why don't we go ahead and start with, I think, the the more realistic option for the Kraken the, and maybe the bigger name as far as free agency as a whole, John Klingberg. Why is he not signed? Where's he going? What's going on? You know, I, I don't know why he hasn't signed yet. He's someone that we were definitely thinking would sign day one of free agency. We were all kind of waiting for that shoe to drop as we were waiting to talk to Ron mm -hmm. Francis. And I think a lot of teams were probably still trying to talk to him, still trying to work things out. When we talked to, to Francis, it definitely sounded like he still had things in the works. He said, we're still working the phones. He almost seemed kind of eager to get back to working on things. Uh, but yeah, this Klingberg situation is kind of drawn out. Um, and it's hard to say where he'll go. I, I feel like the longer this draws out, the more suitors are probably entering the mix, mm -hmm. wondering if the price has gotten lower. But you look at day one of free agency and the two big teams that were rumored to be in on him were Carolina and Seattle. And Carolina, of course, is out now. They uh, brought in Brent Burns. That kind of mm -hmm. fills that need. But you've got to think the Kraken are still in on him, right? Yeah, I mean, as much as we talked about the the Schultz signing, and I like that as as far as filling the need that Ron Francis identified, I still got to think that, you know, if you're really looking to improve your team, if you're really trying to make the playoffs, as Ron Francis said, you know, they wanted the team to be competitive and looking towards doing that, they have to still be focused on John Klingberg and the idea of bringing him in. Um, it is interesting in the sense that I don't... Normally, I'd agree and say that, yes, okay, the, the asking price must be coming down. Maybe he's going to be a little bit more flexible on term, all of those things, just because he's sitting out there. But also, at the end of the day, it's only been five days. He was really the only, you know, first or even second tier defensive name out there this you know what I mean in free agency like like that position did not have a lot going on so I don't know that really he's had to walk down his asking price or walk down the amount of years he's looking for just because he's still the top name out there and there's still a ton of teams that would love to have his services so it's going to be interesting you know just overall I mean do you think there's a chance that he also even reconsiders and, and waits for the cap to maybe go up next year and he just signs a one-year bet-on-himself deal with somebody? Possibly. Of course, according to all the reports, the, the one-year deal option is not really on the table at this point. Uh, if I were him, I, I think you just want to lock something in long-term. And I think that was part of the disagreement with Dallas, too, is that maybe mm -hmm. they would have been willing to go shorter term, uh, but he felt that he was worth more and, and wanted a, a bigger commitment. So I think he's probably still going after that. Um, and I do wonder how the Kraken are approaching something like that, too, because if he's willing to go shorter term, all of a sudden that makes a lot more sense for Seattle. And you could even really bump up the money, too, if he's going for a one year or two year term. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hoping Ron Francis maybe is, is thinking creatively like that. And maybe he's kind of set a hard line, too, about, you know, I, I don't want to go any further than this. That's what I'm hoping mm -hmm. uh, for him. And, you know, he didn't really uh, give a clear indication about whether he was still going for Klingberg or not. Now, I tried to kind of get a hint from from Francis on whether the Kraken were still in on him. You know, I asked him. Like, does the Schultz signing fill that puck-moving right-handed DD, or maybe would you still want to add there? And he's like, well, we're still looking and talking. We'll see what things happen. So uh, we're still waiting to see what things happen.
exactly. Now, he was not the only name kind of talked about in free agency. Uh, Nazem Kadri's name was also floated for the Kraken for, for a while there. Um, you know, that was kind of more pre-drafting Shane Wright and, and what that does to the center situation for the Kraken long term. But I still think that it's notable that Kadri has not signed. My first question to you is, do you think the Kraken are interested in bringing in Nazem Kadri? In general, I mean, well, in general, yes, you always want to bring in a player like that who can certainly help your team right away. At the kind of numbers that that were being rumored before free agency, no, and certainly not with Shane Wright now being a part of the team. And that that was the one area where Ron Francis said that maybe it, it kind of tweaks your your free agency strategy a little bit is having these guys who you know can play center and, and maybe you don't need to target another center. And I think he might've been talking about Kadri there. So I think they probably backed off on their interest, but if some deal came up that maybe they felt made sense from a, a term and money standpoint, you know, to use the GM phrase, well, we got to look at everything. You always have to look at everything. Uh, but, but no, in general, I, I don't think they're going to be that interested in him. I agree. And this one was a little less surprising to me. Um, it just seemed like the the playoff performance, the Stanley Cup finals performance, all that stuff drove up this idea and the hype surrounding him. And obviously he's a fantastic player and he is one of the best second line centers in the NHL right now. He's a, He is the kind of guy that can push any borderline contender over that edge to be a true Stanley Cup contending team. But I always looked at just the age. Nobody was going to give him a seven-year contract, I think, or certainly not for the amount of money that everybody was starting to throw around, that the rumor mill was getting going. Like, I, I don't know. This one doesn't surprise me that he hasn't been signed yet. Uh, like I said, the Klingberg one, he's younger. He can more realistically take a one-year deal and bet on himself and enter free agency again and still kind of ask and, and command a longer term. But Nazem Kadri, I, I just feel like this has always been destined for like a five-year, you know, six and a half, seven million dollar a year deal. Like in my mind, that's just kind of always where it's been. And that does directly, you know, counter what having Shane Wright in the organization does for the Kraken. So I think the idea of Kadri coming because of Shane Wright, whether Wright plays this year or not, which is certainly something we'll talk about later. I just think long-term, unless you're committing to him for like two seasons, I just don't see it happening. Agreed. All right, and then uh, one more name, RJ, we got to talk about that's out there and available that I know Kraken fans want to hear about and, and talk about, and, you know, are we going to bring him in? And that's Ryan Donato. Why is yep. he not a Kraken, RJ? <laughs> I know. For all the talk of how we need to make Seattle Ryan Donato's forever home, uh, he was not qualified uh, by the Kraken by the RFA deadline. And, of course, Ron Francis was asked about that. Uh, when we did get to talk to him uh, on on the first day of free agency and his reasoning. And, and I do understand the reasoning. I will say from the start, I, I understand why they didn't qualify him. And it is what I suspected. They were worried about the arbitration case uh, because Brian Donato did have arbitration rights. And so let's kind of explain that a little bit. Um, if the Kraken had qualified Donato and he had elected to go to arbitration, a a uh, neutral arbitrator would decide, a third party would essentially decide what his salary reward was for next season. And as Francis said, he had a pretty good year. 
he had a pretty good arbitration case, right? Um, and so I think the Kraken were kind of concerned that maybe the number that would be decided is higher than they were willing to go or higher than what they might have to pay on the market if Donato was just a free agent. Uh, so they decided not to qualify him. But Francis did say that there is a chance that Donato could come back. Um, so if they can agree on a number, if there's kind of a spot for him on the roster, uh, then we could see Ryan Donato come back. I hope that's the case. Uh, I would like to see that. Um, but we'll see what else the Kraken do. It's tough because there's still a lot of names on the free agent market that could probably determine whether there's a roster spot for Donato open or not. Yeah. And do you think it was about the worry really about the money that he could be awarded in an arbitration case? Or do you just think it was trying to avoid the, you know, ill will that almost always comes out of them? Because part of that arbitration case, the pitch you're making to the third party that's going to, you know, decide the salary for the player is both parties, player and team, making the argument that it should be, you know, higher or lower respectively. And that has never gone well for a long-term relationship between player and team because you basically have that team coming in and just saying, oh, this guy, he's not very good at this. He can't really do that. We, we don't see him as, a you know, having the ability to contribute here for us. All of those, all of these like negative things that they have to say, you know, basically right there to the player. Uh, in order to try to walk down that price. And that alone has just destroyed so many relationships with so many teams and players, not just in this sport, but really all sports that have it. So do you just think it was really more so that they were worried about that? Because at the end of the day, yes, he had a good season, but it was only 31 points, 16 goals. It wasn't like he was going to be awarded a $5 million deal or something in arbitration. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I have a feeling it was more so about wanting to keep that relationship uh, for the future. I think it could be a bit of both. Certainly arbitration is this awkward and, and often ugly process mm -hmm. uh, between player and team. As you mentioned, there's a reason that I think of the last almost hundred potential arbitration cases, only two of them have actually gotten there. Uh, teams don't like to do it. Players don't like to do it. Uh, so I understand the fear there, but I also think that if you were to try and cite him now, it probably would be less uh, than, than what mm -hmm. arbitration would decide. So I think it can be a little bit of both, but yeah, it's certainly not something you want to have happen, especially not with a player like Donato, who you know has done everything he can to make a positive impression, and I think you know really kind of builds off the confidence or, or lack thereof in his game. You know how how much he's feeling it, and to say all that stuff, you know, basically make the case why he's not any good, uh, that really wouldn't do anything good for next season. Exactly. So uh, there's still hope there. We, I mean, there's there's nothing to say otherwise other than this, that he's not here and we didn't make Seattle his forever home. Um, but I also think that it's it's another one where, like, really with everybody but Klingberg, I just feel like the longer it takes, the, the more the price goes down, you know, at the end of mm -hmm. the day. Uh, and so just because it's it also means like nobody else scooped him up either, which is also right. telling. So uh, we'll we'll just have to play the waiting game and, and wait and see what happens with Ryan Donato and whether or not Seattle can be more of a future home for him. Uh, yeah, moving forward, I just know it's it's uncomfortable and it is a bummer, as everybody has talked yeah, about. Sure. It's, it's a bummer. There's no way around that. Uh, but something that was not a bummer was this week's development camp. That was a ton of fun, getting to see all the prospects from the last two drafts there, or the ones that were there, uh, which was basically everybody. There was just a couple, you know, exceptions um it was a ton of fun to be able to see them all 
and and just watch them work with the coaches, work with each other, work with Maddie, which is I think probably where we should just go ahead and start. Um, everybody's been saying it because it was crystal clear to anybody who was there. Maddie Beniers did not need to be at this development camp. He is head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, it might even be more than that. It's if if everybody else is like swimming, he was like standing in knee deep water. Like it was it was a joke basically that he was playing with these guys and and to. In some ways, I feel like the Kraken really had him there just to kind of be a bridge or a connection between the NHL roster and these prospects and to be somebody who does have NHL experience who can talk to these guys, somebody who is familiar with the facilities and can talk to these guys. And more importantly, someone that they very much view as a future captain so that he can work with these guys that would one day be on that team that he's captaining and more so also work with the coaches in a true leadership capacity so that the coaches could view him as a leader and and all of that kind of stuff. Because that was my big takeaway with him, besides about how good he was, was how often in drills the coaches would talk with him. Uh, about what was going on or him instructing other prospects on what to do during certain drills or, or showing them better ways of doing it. That was my big takeaway uh, was just the leadership aspects of Matty Beneers and how much the coaching staffs, both of them, trusted him. You really saw this seamless transition from the end of last season coming in just trying to get a hold of everything, you know, coming in to the NHL to being this leader, uh, you know, in the group with the coaching staffs, uh, they they both, uh, you know, communicated with him a lot. And as almost unfair as it was that these other players had to play against him in some of these drills, uh, it was very good that Matty Beneers was there, and, and he really kind of took this leadership role through Dev Camp. Um, and that that's a huge takeaway there. We know how good he is on the ice, uh, but it's something that I feel like we hadn't seen from him before. We we know that he was, you know, was going to be a good leader. He's always, you know, been very, you know, composed and everything from day one, you know, mature beyond his years. Uh, but to really see him doing this kind of actively in this Kraken environment, uh, it was awesome to see. Exactly. And, and that's why, you know, I teased on the last thing, Right, talking about the idea mm-hmm. that Matty Beniers is going to be the next Seattle Kraken captain. Uh, it's not going to be Yanni. It's not going to be Adam Larson. It's not going to be Jordan Eberle, right? And, and I feel like this was the first step in getting there. And this is what sold me on that was we all knew he was going to be captain, but I think he's ready now. I think the coaching staff and the organization feel that he's ready now. Granted, it's going to be the player's decision at the end of the day. But I think the other players were watching this. You know what I mean? Whether they were there or not, they were definitely paying attention to this. They were watching this. They've been talking to Maddie over the course of the offseason. They saw what he was able to do at the end of last season coming in and, and not only performing on the ice the way he was, he was able to in those 10 games, but just the presence he had, the way he interacted with fans. I mean, all this week at Dev Camp, anytime he was along the boards, he was fist bumping through the glass with kids. He was waving at them, smiling with them, taking pictures after drills were done with them, selfies through the glass, that kind of stuff. Like, it's so obvious that this guy gets it and he enjoys it and he's present in every moment. That was that was something that me and my family very much talked about afterwards. And, and I think the other players understand that and I think that they respect that because they understand how hard that is especially for someone so young. And so I really think that there's a good chance that he's going to walk into training camp. He's going to be that way again. And all those players are going to look around and say, you know what? This is a guy we can get behind, even though he's so young. 
Mm -hmm. It's it's a bold prediction, I will say that. And what made me hesitate about the whole batty captain right now thing uh, was also that he's going to be the guy who's going to lead the next core of Kraken players, no matter what, I think, you know, mm -hmm. he's, he's going to be the captain for those guys. I, I think we'll both agree on that. Um, but with this older core, the one who was kind of from the expansion draft and everything, those were the guys who were around and kind of defined the team. But this week I, I really got to feel like, the the next core you know the the ryan winterton's the jagger Ferguses, the ty nelson's the Riker evans seeing them out there it feels like all of a sudden it exists a lot more than before this last draft right uh you know shane wright of course being a big part of that um and and maybe that's something i feel can kind of sway maybe the players and the coaching staff to be like look this is what the future is let's embrace it now we don't mm -hmm. have to wait for it um, and so that's just kind of another thing that, that really changed my thinking on it. Yeah. And, and, you know, everybody seems on the same page, right? He's going to be the, the first line center to start the season. You know what I mean? Like the players understand that. And it's, it's not any different than when Landeskog was named captain at 19 Taves at 20, I believe it was Crosby at 20 or 21. You know what I mean? Like we've seen it. Um, I just feel like last year they were very quick to put Gio as captain the players right and and then he he left and i don't know that anybody was really trying to vie for that that second half of the season you know what i mean like i right. i just think that they'd be okay with it and i think they understand the overall situation and what maddie means to the fan base and what he means to the future of the organization so that's why i feel like i i, I still feel really good about that being one of the stories coming out of camp at the end of the year. Um, moving on from Maddie though, because he was kind of like the person who needed the least amount of talking. We, we know how good he is. Um, okay, how do you want to do this? Do you want to go through like the different draft classes? Should we just try to pick who we think the biggest names are and just jump right into Shane Wright? Like, what? How do you want to do this, RJ? I kind of want to just jump right into Shane Wright. I know we can right. kind of separate by draft classes, but this is what people want to hear about. That is for sure. So Shane Wright was obviously the second biggest name at camp. He was, you know, the person everybody was really trying to watch um, and, and there to see. First off, overall first impressions from seeing Shane Wright on the ice? Um, he's he's not flashy, but man, he, he is just solid fundamentally. And I know, you know, that's kind of the book on him, uh, but it's one of the things, you know, you notice right away. Um, the other thing, too, is he was having fun out there. And that's something that I wasn't sure if I would see just given, you know, maybe the, a little bit of residual disappointment from falling on draft day and also just how kind of serious these top pick, you know, prospects are. But he actually seemed like he was having a fun time. So that was good to see. Yeah, no, he did. He was very comfortable, especially when interacting with the media. I kind of alluded to that in a tweet and said I'd expand on it here. Um, yeah, just just his his body language, his overall demeanor, how comfortable he was asking, you know, not well, he was comfortable asking questions on the ice of the other players and and coaches, but how comfortable he was receiving any and all questions from the media. He'd never back down. He never had to really think about something or go, uh, you know what I mean? Like, as he was like, oh, how do I get around this? <laughs> and I understand that, yes, he's been like under the microscope for a couple of years, as Ron Francis talked about, but that's still something that after what he experienced draft night and how public that was, uh, for him to be able to just walk into camp and just be like, no, I've got this. It's fine. I'm a Seattle Kraken. I'm here now. Everything's great. That just speaks a lot to his character. And, um, 
and and really kind of who he's been and all along there's a couple of good articles i'll link in the description below about him growing up and going through the exceptional player status and everything and 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 dealing with the covid years in the ohl and all that stuff and the bottom line is this was a kid who at eight was going to go play with 12 year olds and when his dad was walking him into that rink he turned around and he told his dad no dad i've got this stay here kind of thing right like he understood that hey it's scary but i can't walk into this locker room with my dad and i don't need to he walked in there he was he was of course the best player on that team anyway right despite being four years younger um but but he he instantly became one of the guys with that group all by himself and the fact that he had that at eight long before any of this oh he's going to be the first overall prospect it just kind of shows the, the character that is just within him that hasn't needed to be added through all of these, you know, high profile aspects of his career and stuff, but just who he was at his absolute core back when he was just a little eight year old. And that gave me a lot of confidence in him moving forward through everything. Um, as far as on ice, my major impression was that he was trying to do way too much. Uh, we could, yep. you could see it, especially when it, any time there was like battles, whether it was short rink battles that they were doing at center ice, uh, little skirmishes, or it was the, uh, the dev camp, uh, you know, skirmish, whatever you want to call it. He was w trying to do way too much. Stick handling wasn't always there for him. Passes weren't super crisp losing the puck because he's trying to do something else or he's, he's, he's looking somewhere else. And I just felt like he was trying to do way too much because you could tell that he was trying to be the guy that everybody was there to see right he was trying to put on a show for people and the bottom line is this is your first time here it's okay to just take it a little easy focus on your fundamentals you don't have to put on a show everybody's just excited you're here you don't have to put on that show <laughs> and i and i feel like that's kind of where he got lost a, a little bit was in those bigger moments of dev camp he he just looked like he was trying to do too much yeah, I have to agree with that. And yes, you could see it, especially, I think, day one, because uh, it was the first day and everything, you know, going out trying to impress. And then uh, at the scrimmage day, too, uh, we're on that three on three, really trying to make a lot happen, uh, but not not able to really get it all done. And yeah, that's that's also kind of not necessarily his game uh, to try and really force things like that. Um and so, yeah, I, I do think there was a little bit of trying to do too much um, and, and just a little bit, too. It's it's in the summer. You know, it's after kind of a long season. I don't know. It, it felt like he was trying to kind of be at that ramped right right back up to that peak performance. And it maybe just wasn't there for him. Um, but I, I'm still, you know, I still have confidence he'll, he'll be ready to go at training camp and maybe with a bit, a bit different of a mindset because he's already been there. He's already been around all the crack and stuff before um, and he can settle in a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, that's why these teams do these dev camps, and that's why they make sure they do them at those facilities so that it's not all new. They've already spoken with the media. They've been in that building. They know some of the staff members that are going to be around. There's there's a level of um, familiarity so that they can ease into something like a training camp and, and put their best foot forward. Um, there was a couple moments, though, where we did see you know his game from him. I will say... Anytime he had to play defense, even if it was coming off of one of his worst looking turnovers or just a misplay of the puck, he was not trying to do too much anymore. It was just instinctual. I got to get back. I got to stop this shot. I've got to back check. I got to stick lift this here. You know what I mean? Like that's really where he shined was in all those defensive moments. Uh, and, and that's really good to see because that's 
you know, A, what we all know he was working on that last year, but that's really what made him, in my opinion, such a special player. It wasn't that he was going to be, you know, oh, this 100-point scorer in the NHL. It's, no, this guy's going to be rock-solid two-way. He's going to be able to put up 60 to 80 points in the NHL, yes, but he's going to be able to do it responsibly, and he's going to be able to help out your team in a variety of roles. And so even though the offense necessarily wasn't there for this dev camp, the fact that we saw that defense there is still gives me you know, hope for him making the team in fall because that he can do that on a third line and he won't be expected to, you know, do a bunch of stuff offensively. Um, But offensively, we did see some of the hallmarks of his game. He wanted to drive the net. Like the few times he, he like decided, no, I'm just like playing my game and I'm going to do this and I'm not going to try to, you know, make a move around a guy or or do something different. He was going to drive the nets. There was one sequence where he drives the net he isn't quite able to get the shot off. It goes into the corner. Nobody's really there. So he pushes and he makes sure he gets good body position and he gets there first. He gets the puck, gets, you know, does a great quick move because his edge work is so clean. It's so clean. His ability to make these quick cuts makes a quick cut, spins around. All of a sudden, he's got another path right to the goaltender. He takes it. Yes, the goaltender just stick, po- you know, poke checks it away with the, with the paddle there a little bit. But. The, the fact was, that was when I was like, okay, Shane Wright's still in there somewhere. Like, he wasn't thinking he was just playing, and that's the way he plays. And that's going to serve him very well in the NHL. Anytime you, you want to be aggressive, driving to the net, I just see him future on, on future power plays, where he's going to drive the net, create chaos there, create rebounds, or even drive the net while someone like Maddie has the puck, and he's just going to be sitting there back door for a fantastic Maddie Beneers pass. That's just going to come right to his stick and he's going to be able to finish it. And and that those were the moments where I was just like, okay, I, I feel so good after those other moments of him trying to do too much. I was like, okay, the player I saw is still in there. That's really awesome. And uh, as long as he continues to get more and more comfortable and play more and more of his game, he's going to be just fine. Yeah, and th- those were the most exciting moments too. For long stretches he kind of lived in front of the net whether it was driving the net or trying to be available backdoor uh he's someone who's not afraid to go to the crease and i hope that always stays a part of his game exactly and great physical player too he knows how to leverage the size that he has he does not really get beat in one-on-one battles that that become physical uh he knows how to get low he's got a strong lower body and so anytime you know one day they really spent the whole day just focusing on body positioning drills he did a fantastic job with that um does, he needs to protect the puck a little better in some of those situations because he would pr- he would put it in a place where yes it's protected from the guy pestering him but it's still very much exposed but the, those are you know things he's 18 he's got a lot to learn still about a lot in you know about playing in the NHL I totally forgive it that's that's pretty normal to see um all right so from Shane Wright should we should we jump into Furcus Circus I feel like he was yes let's do it the other big story there so Jagger Furcus came in I had some questions about what he was going to look like and what he was going to be able to do just because I liked his game in the WHL, but obviously the size concerns are a very big concern, I think, from everybody, and that's why he fell in the draft. Uh, But the bottom line is, not only does he know how to get lost behind defenses and do all those things that I said are going to make him good, I mean, he outside of Maddie, I think he had the best pure skill set there as far as puck skills and, and shooting ability. 
Yeah, that was undeniable. And it's the kind of skill set that makes me think that he can be successful at the NHL level, almost regardless of size. Um, yes, he's got to bulk up a little bit, but I'm, I'm really not worried about that after seeing uh, what he was able to do against some of these other players. And, um, you know, we talked about Shane Wright trying to do too much. I felt like Jagger Furcus tried to do a lot, but succeeded at those kind of things. Um, he was fearless in some of the moves that he would make. I mean, I think of the moment in the in the scrimmage where uh, he made a nice move around the defenseman to, to clear up some space and then tried going between the legs from really like the middle of the slot shooting the puck. Uh, you know, it, it didn't go in, but just the, the, the confidence to try something like that uh, was great to see from him. And it was something we saw consistently, uh, you know, the physical battles. I think there's still a little more work to do. I'm, I'm interested to have you kind of repeat to me what you said uh, when we were watching these kind of one-on-one -on -one battle drills with Furcus, uh, talking about, you know, doing those things at speed and having an issue with that. So I please enlighten everyone like you, you enlightened me earlier this week. Yeah. So during the, the day when the AHL coaches were running things and, and the practice really had a, you know, a focus on body position drills and protecting the puck and, and physical drills, battle along the boards, all that kind of stuff. Um, first off, Fergus did impress me in his ability to compete with guys much bigger than him. Uh, he, he understands how to use his body and stuff. Uh, he understands how to get low. He has this innate ability to always stay on his feet going into the boards and board battles. I don't quite understand how he's able to do that when you could watch guys and you're like, they've got like a good 30 pounds on him. They should be able to just truck him out of their way. But he would just he'd just kind of still be there. Uh, so I give him credit to, for that. But one of the things is when you are having to fend somebody off, particularly someone who's bigger than you, it becomes that much harder to focus on also doing the other aspects of your job, right? You're trying to score. And so there was plenty of times in drills where he would effectively hold somebody off, but he was not then able to be effective at all at puck handling, passing, shooting, any of those things. Because he was so focused on the other, he he was not able to work at full speed and, and showcase those other skills the way he was when he had time and space. And when he had time and space, he would sometimes get caught off guard if someone got overly physical with him, right? Like it, it was a two-way street. And so I think a lot, of, a lot of the prospects there struggled with that. It's just something that as they you know, progress towards the NHL, they're going to have to get better and better at because they're no longer big fish in little ponds. They're going to be little fish in big ponds. They're going to have to deal with the fact that everybody is bigger and stronger and faster. So not only do you have to continue to play at like 100% speed wise, but now you also have to incorporate your physicality in a way that certainly in, you know, major junior, you don't really have to. And so that's, that's where I felt like Furcus struggled. But again, that's just that's just a nuance. That's just a fact of life of playing in the NHL that a lot of prospects have to learn. I'd say vast majority of them have to eventually learn. I think because of his size being, you know, as small as he is, it might take him a little longer to learn that. But based on what I saw at development camp this week, the skill set is, is a thousand percent there. His willingness to be physical and, and be in those situations is there. So I think it's just a matter of time before he learns how to do that. Agreed. And lastly, on his size, um, I did get the chance because we had the media availability with him. You know, he kind of walked right by me. So you really see, I, I feel like 5'10 is even a little bit generous, to be honest. Uh, you know, look at, he was, he was about my size, just a little bit taller. But uh, I just can't believe that someone 
you know, again, about my size, I'm five, seven, you know, didn't look all that bitch bigger than me is able to go out there and compete against these guys, you know, including some of the bigger defensemen who just look like giants out there and be as successful as he is. It's just really crazy to think about. Yeah. It just, it speaks to his mindset, to his uh, compete ability and, and level. Right. And that's something that uh, is, is going to be a big thing moving forward for him. Obviously all the coaches are going to love it. Being on a team with a guy like Matty Beniers, being on a team with somebody like Shane Wright, he's going to fit right in. Uh, so I'm very excited to see how he progresses. Like I said, all along, I've been kind of saying, I think he's a little further out than maybe some of these other players. Uh, in part because of the size, in part because of those nuances that he's going to have to learn and that he might not be able to totally learn in the WHL. Like I said, he's able to do things at a WHL you know, pace and ability. He can deke around guys. He's not really going to be put in too many positions where he's going to have to fend somebody off and be able to make plays all at speed. That might be something where he's going to need AHL seasoning for that just kind of extends his, you know, overall roadmap to the NHL. So it, it's it's going to be interesting, but I will say nobody put on a better show than Jagger Furcus outside of Beneers. But again, Beneers kind of just did everything better. Um, and nobody fed off the crowd like Jagger Furcus. Oh, yeah. You, you could tell that he loved it. He loved the interaction with the fans. I mean, the number one thing he talked about when we got him in the media availability was just like, there's so many fans there. I'm not used to this, uh, but you could tell that he loved it. And there was kind of an instant connection between him and the fans. Exactly. So uh, I feel like the next biggest like name and, and certainly character to come out of the whole development camp process was Ty Nelson. And oh my gosh, this kid blew me away, not just with the personality and stuff. We obviously got to start seeing that at the draft, right? With the outfit and with the interviews and stuff. But holy cow, this guy can play hockey and I'm like, this guy could be in the NHL in like two years easy. Right. I mean, looking at how he played, the timeline just feels like it got a lot shorter for me. He's he's just he looks so ready. I mean, with his build, how he's able to use his body to gain uh, position on guys, it's kind of like he's had this, you know, seasoning and, you know, almost looks like, you know, in the AHL or a few more years of junior that he's had, uh, he's just so naturally able to do those kind of things. He's got great hands too. I mean, that was one of the things that really impressed me is especially kind of down low, uh, working on those three on three drills along the goal line, uh, able to make quick moves around players and, and cut to the net, things like that, uh, you know, even offensively. Um, yeah, for, for all the hype with the personality and, and the great hat on draft day, and he, he really does have a fantastic personality, the skill on the ice absolutely backs that up. Uh, it a thousand percent does. And I feel like this is a player that should have been a first round pick if he and would have been if he was six two. Like like everything about this says he fell to the third round only because he is five ten. Even though he's already two hundred pounds, he is thick, he knows how to use his body, he is strong. Like he's able to physically move people out there, at least at dev camp he was. Um, and and yes, the bottom line is he is a super skilled guy. I mean, this guy was an insanely high pick in the OHL draft, right? I, I think he was first overall, actually, um, if I'm thinking about it. Uh, but he was extremely high pick, got kind of screwed over by COVID like so many of these OHL guys did. So he didn't quite get all that time to, to showcase his abilities at the AHL level. But, you know, as I was talking about with Fergus, the ability to compete physically while also being able to use all of your skills at 100% speed, Ty Nelson was the only guy besides Matty Beneers able to do that. 
And that's what was really impressive to me. During those those one-on-one battle drills, he was able to go get the inside track body position on people, get the puck in the corner, just physically bump them out of the way. You know what I mean? Stick your butt out and just kind of bump mm-hmm. them back. He was able to do all that stuff against everybody while also stick handling, getting great shots off, doing all of those things. And and then even in de- when he was you know in a defensive role, he was able to handle everybody physically even if they were substantially you know taller than him uh he was able to handle them all i love the fact that he would not puck watch he was only ever focused on covering his guy covering his space being responsible for his thing and for somebody who is as skilled with the puck as he is and for somebody who is as willing to jump into plays as he is that was very very encouraging for me because we'll talk about someone like Riker evans in a little bit but that's what I saw that I said, okay, this is a third round pick. And I'm thinking this guy's going to be in the NHL for like tw- in 2023. You know what I mean? And and I wasn't thinking, oh, can this guy ever make the NHL one day? Like you would with most third round picks. Right. It, it just looked different. It, it, even compared to some of the other second round picks that you saw where maybe mm-hmm. there were some more questions. Uh, he just seemed like ready to go. And um, I like that you talked about kind of the body positioning, you know, with those drills he looked as dominant as I saw anyone look in dev camp. He kind of looked uh, body positioning wise, the way that Maddie did just in general mm-hmm. against all of these guys, it looked like someone who had that, that coaching, that ability, that maturity versus some of the players who just did not have that at all. Even ones that were bigger than him. Um, he just felt a lot more polished in that way. Um, yeah. I, I think the timeline, like, I, <laughs> what'd you say? 2023. I, I'm, I, I, I'm almost speechless here just because I'm thinking about him maybe in a couple years on this roster and, and the value that he could bring. Uh, I'm just so excited about it. Yeah. And, you know, look, it's one of those things, the size, it, it's it's going to be a concern at the NHL level. He's going to need to be able to go up against bigger guys. I think he's going to be strong enough and sturdy enough to handle those battles where he might run into issues is not having the reach of, say, like an Adam Larson or a Jamie Alexiak or, you know, Carson Soucy, right? Not being able to have that reach cover as much ground because of that. His skating, he's 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 a good skater. I would not call him fast. And I do feel like if he's going right. to be a smaller guy, he kind of needs that speed to help make up for some of those you know, coverage lapses just because he doesn't have the reach. Uh, I think those are the issues where he could have a problem. So I don't think he's ever going to be like a top pairing guy or whatever in the future. But in my opinion, he's close to being ready to handle third pairing minutes and roles mm. and situations. And that's where I think, you know, he'll be able to do that probably in another year or so. And and I also say that because you could tell the coaches were in love with him. Like they oh, love sure. every time he did anything, they were all watching him. You know what I mean? Like they just absolutely loved it. And I got to think everybody in that organization loved what they were seeing on and off the ice from Ty Nelson. All right. Should we, let's go ahead and talk about Riker Evans. Cause I feel like he was one of the other, you know, kind of talked about prospects going into all this. There was lots of questions. I'd said at the end of last year, I thought, Hey, he might be ready for the NHL this upcoming season. Um, we know how, how well his WHL season went last year. I don't know. I, I walked away from this camp kind of feeling really good about the stuff I already knew he was good about and really bad about the stuff I had questions about. I don't know about you. 
I agree, and it's a shame you weren't there for day one because I thought day one of camp he was fantastic, and he really came out there looking like a man on a mission. Um, he did a lot of the things that we just talked about Ty Nelson doing, you know, pinching up offensively, showing off a really good shot, and, and working well with the most skilled players there. Um, and I, I walked away from day one thinking, man, this guy is going to make the roster for sure. Uh, but to be honest, the last three days I, I was kind of underwhelmed. You know, he brought the things that you know he's good at, but. Um, as far as kind of rounding out his game and that sort of stuff, I just didn't see enough. Exactly. He can shoot the puck. He can pass the puck. Maybe second best passer there behind Maddie, as far as the passes that not only can he pull off, but just that he'll even attempt. Because uh, that's a that's a big thing for a lot of young players, I'll say, is right. Like they just don't even think to try certain things uh, just because they're not maybe totally comfortable with it or, or whatever. Um, he can totally pass. He sees the ice so well when it's in the offensive zone. Like, and, and that was, that was all the stuff we knew about, but what I wanted to see was him put in defensive situations. I wanted to see how he competed with the physical drills and his skating is so crisp and clean offensively and so bad when he's put in a defensive situation. I don't really understand. He's slow going backwards. He doesn't have great transitions when he's trying to be physical with someone or keep pace with someone. Um, his timing on when to start the transition is very late. And so, I mean, really during that, during that game that they were doing, the three-on-three games that they were doing, I mean, he was just getting walked left and right by guys. They were either blowing past him on the outside or they were just walking kind of right through him. And he wasn't really even putting up a big like physical barrier for them. Um, he just looked like somebody defensively that was thinking way too much because he was trying to focus on all the stuff that everybody was telling him. He looked very mm -hmm. much to me like back when I would coach squirts and it's like, okay, as a defenseman and you're skating back and this person's coming, you know, you can tell which side you should transition to turn on by looking at their hips, right? You can fake with the shoulders. You cannot fake with your hips. If your hips are going to point one way, you kind of have to go that way unless you want to like break your legs or something. Uh, and so he looked like he was looking at all that stuff. He was like, oh, the puck's there. I should poke check. But by the time he thought about it, it was too late and the puck was already in a different spot. Or by the time he was he was gauging where they were going to go and he started his transition, it was too late and he lost any speed he had and they were right past him. And so I, I was just disappointed and it made me go, okay, let's pump the brakes on this whole he should be on the opening night roster thing. Yeah, it's something where you look at the coaching and, and we noticed that the coaches were kind of trying to spend a little extra time with him, especially with skating, uh, because I think there are those things that needed to be worked on. It's something I saw uh, Jess Campbell working with him on, um, you know, a fair number of times, particularly the skating and the transitions. And I think she saw what we were seeing, right, that that wasn't as clean as it could be, that that's kind of the area of his game that he really needs to uh, to kind of focus on and clean up. And I think he needs a little bit more work there. And not to say that he can't do it because, um, you know, he's a great player and he's, he's improved things, you know, to get to this point. But um, it's something that might require a little bit more time. And we'll see how he handles it in training camp. But he's he definitely has some work ahead of him. Yeah, I think I think training camp's going to be big. My guess is they'll keep him around for as long as possible through training camp just so he can get all those reps in against everybody and learn from them, have guys like Adam Larson teach him some tricks, that kind of thing. But otherwise, I think this is um he's going to be a really really fun player to watch with the Firebirds. Uh 
And I think that that's probably ultimately going to be best for him too. It'll let him build confidence. He'll be around fantastic coaches, right? Obviously, Jess is going to be able to coach him there. Bilesma's going to be able to coach him there. And uh, and then, you know, if times call for it, he can come up to the NHL, you know, and, and get his feet wet there a little bit. But I do think that an AHL season is kind of what the doctor is going to order for him. Yeah, agreed. All right. Who do you want to touch on next, RJ? Do you, do you have a particular person i don't want to talk about some fins we can pick which one but i um we haven't talked about enough fins yet that's that's my complaint all right why don't we go in order of draft all right so the kraken's second second round pick this year was uh yanni and here was where we you know we were wondering how to draft day and stuff is it is it neiman is it nyman you have a new one now after watching some tape trying to figure it out Yes, uh, Neumann. Neumann. Neumann is how they were saying it uh, on the Finnish broadcast. So I'm going to go with that. All right. So uh, what did you what did you think of him? Because obviously the first thing you, you notice about him is the size. He was like the tallest guy out there. Um, he looked a little bit like a baby giraffe to me and that he was very tall, very lanky. Skating was a little all over the place. Um, but otherwise, I, I liked I liked the attitude that he had kind of around everything. I did too. And he was a guy where you had flashes of really great things where he at times would be like, yeah, I'm just going to take over uh, <laughs> and show everyone what I can do. It wasn't all that consistent. You didn't see it all the time, uh, but there were times where he was dominant, whether it was in certain drills or, or in the scrimmage sometimes. Uh, and you got like those flashes of what he's capable of. And I could definitely see where a scouting staff uh, would, would be enamored by that and be like, look at what this guy can be. Uh, he is big. That's the first thing you notice about him. Uh, he is, you know, every bit of that, what, six, four frame and mm-hmm. filled out too. I think he's over 200 pounds already. Yep. Um, so, you know, physically he's got that size. We'd like to see him use a little bit more, but I feel like that's kind of something that we say about a lot of these European players coming over. Um in the shot he has a really good shot um so want to see him use that a little bit more but that those are my takeaways what do you think yeah so my first takeaway was these drills were not run at a pace fast enough for him like he always just looked like why okay like let's just like keep it moving guys like come on come on and so that's that probably goes to the system he's grown up in uh back in finland he's probably used to just regular reps and stuff like that everything moving at a very quick speed so i i kind of like that aspect of him um it, just that he was always like itching to go again and, and try something again and, and probably work on something that he felt he didn't do so well the first go around. Right. And and he just wanted to get back so that he could implement a change. And so I, I very much enjoy that. And I love seeing that from prospects. Physical stuff. Yes, it's clear that he's not used to having to play that way. He's not used to having to to board battle in the way that the NHL is going to ask him to board battle. We know that about most European prospects, right? The game over in Europe is way less physical. It's much more of a speed-based game. Obviously, Finland, I don't know how many times we're going to say it over the course of our lifetimes, RJ, but it's going to be a lot. But the Finnish cycle game, you know what I mean? Like, anytime they were doing anything that, that was remotely similar to that, he looked outstanding. His vision was great. His passing was good. His shot was good. He knew where to be, all that kind of stuff. Um, but anytime they were focused on more of the nitty-gritty North American style of, of game, that's where he struggled. His skating is good, but it is not good if he has to be physical with somebody. Anytime there was physical contact was when he would start losing his edges or he didn't know how to 
you know, use his body, didn't know how to get low enough really to keep his balance all the way. And that's a big thing for, for the taller guys in particular is just bending your knees enough, bending at your waist if you have to, just to keep your edges and keep, keep upright so that you're not kind of falling all over. That's just what you're going to have to do as, as things get more and more physical for you. Um, so I, I think he has that stuff to work on. That's pretty standard stuff though. We've seen, you know, hundreds of guys need that. And for the most part, they all do figure that stuff out. It just requires a little bit more time. I think another year in Finland, probably do well for him. Let him play against men in Finland more than just the 10 games experience he has. Let him get some more ice time over there and do all that stuff. He can focus on getting his skill game to, you know, that, that top ability and then he can transition over, and that's when you look at you know a year in the AHL just to learn all the physical aspects of the North American game, and then you can kind of re-go from there as far as what you want to do with him. Yeah, and it's worth remembering, he's only 17. Yeah. He hasn't even turned 18 yet, so maybe a little bit longer of a timeline, but we definitely saw some of the talent there. Exactly. I'm still very, very optimistic about him, and I, and I very much see an NHL player there. Uh, it's just, again, it's like, it's like, it's like with Furcus, there's just nuances to the North American game that he's going to have to learn that most of these European guys have to learn. And there is always that growing period for them as they make that transition. Um, but there's no doubt about it. He has the skill set and, and the, the, uh, the hockey IQ to be an NHL player one day. And we saw that on display. The other fin that they took in the second round this year, RJ, the goaltender, the off the board pick that had everybody going, huh? What? Who? Ninth ranked what? Uh, and that was, of course, Nicholas Coco, who, uh, you know, he was a goaltender. Up days, down days, it's goaltending. Totally. I mean, he looked amazing over the first day uh, of dev camp. I, I think he went almost the first you know, 20, 30 minutes without allowing a goal. Uh, so we just kind of kept watching like, OK, when is a puck going to go in? Um, he looked really fluid in his movements, solid down low. Um I'm like, okay, I definitely see why they reached for him. The next day, eh, you know, not great. You know, he, he was a goalie. That's kind of uh, like you said. You said it perfectly. He was a goalie, um, and but I did see kind of the building blocks. You know that that you can have for a good goalie. Um, like I said, he was solid down low. I, I liked kind of how he covered everything. He wasn't leaky. You know, didn't give up very many of those goals. Uh, you know, up high, still some stuff to work on. Did get beat clean a few times up there. Um, but I, I like kind of how calm and fluid he is in his movements, although he did chase the puck around. If it was kind of close to him, if the puck was moving side to side, he, he would kind of push a little bit more than maybe he should overcommit sometimes. Um, but that's something you kind of expect to see from a younger goaltender. Still a ways out. I mean, you have to look at this realistically. When you draft a goalie, you're probably not going to see him for another four or five years uh, when you're thinking about even, you know, at the NHL level. Um, so he's still got some runway ahead of him. But um, interesting, though, one of the first things you pointed out to me, though, was that he didn't look as big as his size that he's listed at 6'3". Um, I don't know, seemed a little smaller than that. Yeah, he definitely seems smaller than that. And I don't know if that's just the way he carries himself if it was his body language or if just you know the sizing listed is a little generous as we know can happen from time to time um but yes it 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 struck me that it was like on paper he should have been bigger than he he was uh the bottom line is um you know there are goaltenders that that do play small 
right? Like there are goaltenders that play bigger than they are and there are goaltenders who play smaller than they are. A lot of that just has to do with how bent they are at the waist, how they keep their shoulders. If you're going to push your, um, it's way too dark for you to really see what I'm doing, but there's a difference between playing like this and being able to get your full, you know, movement with your shoulders back versus having them a little more hunched forward as is, you know, realistically any kid, right? The first time you try to do the, the, the goaltending thing, right? You, you push your shoulders forward kind of like this and you do that, but there are times where you're going to want to keep your shoulders big and, and look big and, you know, be more in the way. Uh, and so I, it could just be as simple as that. Otherwise, from a skill standpoint, I felt like there was a language barrier thing. I don't know how much English he spoke, but when he was working with the goaltending coaching that was there, it felt like that there was times where he had to be more physically shown certain things rather than just being able to be told. Again, not a bad thing, probably to be expected. It is what it is. You know what I mean? That's that's something that will improve over time. Um, there were other times, though, my biggest takeaway from the first day I saw him was there were a couple leaky ones that he would let through that he was very upset with himself. He was just like, I should have had that. Like, it wasn't like, oh, he's angry and he's like, bat, you know, hitting the post with his stick or anything. But there were plenty of times where he'd just go to like one knee, just like, I I should have that. Like, I should have that every day of the week. Like, what was I thinking kind of thing? Like, that was very much what his body was telling me. Um, and, and then also his interactions with the goaltending coach, because he was always last on the drills that day when they had a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with the coaching. And uh, he was always last on the drills. And the coach would not finish a drill until, for the first two guys, until they made a stop. Like, they would end on a stop. But for Coco, they would end on him scoring on him. And I was like, what's up with that? And then the, the coach would kind of celebrate and come in and, and, and kind of, you know, make a big gesture about scoring and then come in and, you know, pat him on the head or whatever. And so I thought that that was very curious. I don't know if maybe they're just trying to lighten him up. And show him like, hey, this stuff isn't a big deal. And that's what I was getting when he was, you know, upset with himself after he'd let something in. He's he's too tough on himself. And so they're just like, look, dude, it's practice. It's meaningless. It's fine. Just be happy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's what was going on. But I thought that it was just very strange how he was kind of treated different from the two other netminders. I do remember the drill you're talking about and, and yeah, kind of Steve Briere going, I remember the celebration specifically that you're talking about. Um, yeah. I don't know exactly what was up there. I did kind of talk around to some people. It sounds like to me, like uh, Oko doesn't know a whole lot of English um, or at least that he's not very confident in you know, kind of the speaking ability. So I'm sure there probably was a bit of a language barrier there. Like you said, nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's mm -hmm. to be expected. You have someone coming over from Finland, but maybe that, that did make an impact at some point. Yeah. So, um, but otherwise I liked, I liked his stick work, especially not so much in playing the puck, but the use of his stick while he's in the crease, he likes to poke check with it. He likes to get it in passing lanes. If someone's going to try to, to pass it across his crease, he's stopping it. And I was like, okay, that's a finished netminder right there. <laughs> exactly. We saw that a lot of times when Shane Wright was driving yep. to the net too. Always with that active stick. Shane Wright, he drove the net a lot, didn't score very much. And a lot of that was because of Coco. Exactly. So um, lots of lots of stuff there. Otherwise, you know, it's way too early to make, be making projections or anything like that for him. He's a goaltender. Oh, yeah. There's just so much so much there. But um, yeah, it was just it was just really good to see him. And and I don't I don't I didn't walk away feeling like, OK, Ron Francis, like, what the hell were you doing when you picked this guy? Yeah, certainly seemed like he belonged. Exactly. Uh, why don't we round out this talk with the the final second round pick they had this year, David Goyette. 
Um, what did you think of him? I, I really liked his passing and playmaking abilities. I did too. I mean, he was always kind of trying to find someone whenever he had the puck. You could tell uh, he, his head up was a lot. He, sorry, he had his head up a lot. Um, <laughs> he was looking around, um, was able to have good chemistry with some of the other guys there, really using some of the skill around him. I liked when he was uh, kind of matched up with, with Matty Beneers or you know Shane Wright for a drill. You could tell they kind of thought the game at, this, at the same level. Um, I, I thought the skating and, and the stick handling was also pretty good. Just, you know, well-rounded type of game. And, and it makes sense because we looked at, um, you know, his scoring ability, uh, you know, in, I believe, the OHL. Yeah. And, um, you know, he had really solid stats. I think, why wasn't this guy maybe drafted a yep. little bit higher? He was still a second round pick, but, um, you know, 33 goals, 40 assists, just seems like a really good, well-rounded forward, talented guy. Um, I, I don't know. He was as advertised to me. What did you think? Exactly. I He looked like the kind of guy that maybe was hurt scouting because he wasn't playing with anybody. You know, we talked about that in the mm -hmm. post-draft, you know, review of the draft. And we talked about the fact that, yeah, no, he was stuck with Sudbury, with the Wolves, nothing going on there or anything, right? And and it felt like, you know, that held him back when it came to him being drafted. But the moment he had access to playing with somebody like a Matty Beniers, you could tell like, okay, this guy is capable of thinking on that level. He wants to try this stuff. He is fearless with his passing and his and his ability to try to get it through traffic. And most of the time he could get it through traffic or the speed at which he could pass and, and get it, you know, cross ice or something to somebody when he sees them open. There's lots of times guys, particularly, you know, at dev camp and stuff like this, these young guys, they'll see somebody open and they try to make a pass, but they're either lazy with it or they're just not fast with it just because they're maybe not able to be yet and it gets totally picked off or by the time it gets there that guy is no longer open or you can't hit him in stride for a breakaway all that stuff those things are never a problem for Goyet. the pass is going to be tape to tape for the most part it's going to hit the guy in full stride he's going to be there for it there was a couple times he was able to get some passes through traffic that on the other end they were not ready for so the play died on him, but it was a fantastic pass that you know, playing in the NHL, guys will be ready for that. They'll be able to take advantage of that pass. So I was very, very impressed with David Goyette, and I think that there's, um, as we've said with a lot of these guys, I think there is a future there. I don't know how high it's going to be. I'm not going to say, he's, oh, this guy's destined for the first line with Maddie or anything, because there was plenty of other stuff he had to work on. But um, but I, I liked a lot of what I saw from him. Yeah, agreed. All right, so why don't we just do some like quick hits here, just talk about some guys that we liked uh, as we're already over the hour mark here for the podcast. I hope everybody's been enjoying these as they all end up like an hour and a half now. We're not just like messing with you. Messing with you when you have like an hour-long commute and now you can get like halfway there with the second half of a podcast or something. Um <laughs> I, I think the, the biggest guy that impressed me most outside of the ones that we talked about was actually Ben McDonald. Mm -hmm. And I did not expect to, to be talking that way when we came into this. But, you know, in the in the post-draft review, we talked about, okay, he's a high school player. He's coming out of high school. What does that mean? Who knows? We know he's eventually going to Harvard. But in the meantime, he's going to be going to West Kelowna, playing in the BCHL. What's going on? But he was another guy that he could play with Matty Beneers, and he saw the ice better than most people there. Uh, I just think that his skill set was not always able to help him take advantage of it. Like there was times you could totally see he was reading the play perfectly, but he didn't have the passing ability or he wasn't fast enough to make it happen or his shot wasn't strong enough to take advantage of the opening he had. And so it'll be interesting to see is, you know, 
is he going to be able to work on those things and get them to a point where he can one day make the NHL? Or is this just going to be, you know, one of those situations where the brain is there, the, the, you know, the body, the skill set isn't quite there to, to get him all the way. Yeah. He does fit the mold of kind of a Ron Francis hockey sense type of pick. That's definitely the way that he talked about him kind of after the draft and what he liked. Um, And I'm not surprised given, you know, his father's, you know, great hockey career Mm -hmm. winning the Hobie Baker at Harvard, you know, probably someone who was trained to think about this sort of thing, think the the game this way from a very young age. So you definitely saw that on display this week. Yeah, exactly. So he's one that I'm going to be looking forward to watching just after seeing him. He really stood out to me in some of the plays he was able to make with guys like Matty Beniers and just the the plays that he was trying to make, even if he wasn't always able to make them happen. So I'm very intrigued by him. Is there anybody that you were intrigued by, RJ? Yes, uh, I was intrigued by uh, Ville Ottavainen. Yeah, he was uh, last year as a fourth round pick. And the probably the least flashy guy at this <laughs> this whole camp. Yes. Um, but you know what? When you are a big kind of shutdown defensive defenseman, that's a good thing. Um, I, I liked how he used his body in front of the net. Um, I liked how he was very smart with the puck, even though you know the kind of high end puck skills aren't necessarily there. He's not going to score a lot of goals. He's probably not going to score a lot of points. Um, but he was just in a word solid and and or steady take your pick um and i feel like he's ultimately going to probably develop into maybe a third pair defenseman um but one of those guys who can give you really good value while they're either on like an elc or while you still have team control uh, who's going to be able to win some of those matchups so you don't have to bring in maybe a veteran third pairing guy who might be a little bit of a liability defensively Um, i feel like he might be kind of an unsung hero once we see this core really grow up and, and get to the point where the teams are contending exactly this this spoke to me of like you know if he's in the right situation this guy would be like you know a lot of these depth defensemen we've seen on the last couple tampa bay lightning rosters you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like he he very much felt like okay this guy is going to be an underappreciated undervalued player moving forward in part because he you know for a guy who doesn't necessarily produce a lot from a point perspective he sees the ice very very well And that was my big takeaway was there were totally times where I I was thinking like, is this guy a forward? Like, like he looked like a forward the way he was maybe joining rushes or just how skilled he was at certain drills. You were like, okay, that's not supposed to be that way for a defenseman with that size. Like that's, that's not how this works. Um, But otherwise, yes, his vision and his ability to think quickly and think on his feet and all that stuff. That is going to play. He's got the size and the reach to be an effective defender. And I just think the fact that he has played as much in uh, Liga as he has over the last couple of years, I think that's that says a lot too. The fact that coaches there trust him and they trust his abilities and his smarts and everything. That's a big, big, big deal. So uh, I'm very, I was very encouraged by what I saw from him as well. Uh, let's see who else was there, RJ. Anybody else you wanted to talk about? You like Barrett uh, Hall, should... right? Huh? You like Barrett Hall, right? I did like Barrett Hall. You know, there there were some good moments. I, you know, he showed me some flashes of like, you know, really good skill. Other times, you know, maybe maybe an ill ill advised decision or whatnot. But he was fun to watch. I mean, for someone coming in watching Dev Camp, you know, there there are a lot of these later round picks, depth guys. Uh, he was entertaining, which I enjoyed. So I I was a fan of Barrett Hall. Yeah, he had some flashy moments for sure. It was it was fun to see him. And anytime you see the the later round picks do 
really anything it's it's fun it's exciting uh, one more name I think we should mention just mm-hmm. in the fact that he wasn't there is Ryan Winterton yeah uh, because you know he is a very good prospect in the Kraken system but uh, I kind of doubted that he would be doing a lot of anything really on the ice because he was so banged up after uh, his team's Memorial Cup run yeah he was not out there uh, but just thought we should mention him since we haven't talked about him he is one of their top prospects but uh, I think he needs to heal up a little bit more before training camp exactly i'm excited to see him in training camp and uh, got that elc all done it's always a good thing and talk about elcs how awesome was it to see shane wright sign his out there on the ice you you brought that up you're like hey do you think they do this at the end of the the scrimmages and i was like i don't know i don't see why not i guess and sure enough out came ron francis yeah, I wasn't even that serious. I was just kind of joking about it with you because I had checked Twitter and saw that Slavkovsky had just signed his ELC. And I'm like, hey, Dylan, you know, they should just have Shane Wright like mid scrimmage, just go and sign it, you know, on the ice while they're playing. You know, I guess I wasn't far off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had him sign it on the ice. I thought that was a really cool moment. Yeah. Um, you know, a good, especially with the fans all there to watch the scrimmage. I mean, it was a packed house. Um, really great kind of introduction, you know, formal introduction, really, uh, of him to the fans and getting to do that first fish toss that was great too um and i just like that the organization was thinking that way uh, trying to think of a, of a way that will involve the fans and, and we kind of talked to shane afterwards about it asked him like when did you know that you were going to be doing this he did call it a surprise um i feel like he didn't know until kind of right before it was going to happen that it was going to go that way but his agent did mention that hey yeah we kind of want to do this in a way that involves the fans um and i thought it was really good execution yeah, it, it was fantastic. I, I did like the uh, the comment on Twitter about what there's no clipboards, as you know him <laughs> and Ron Francis are like trying to hold the back of the paper so that they can sign it. You know, because you, you know this is something you got to think Shane Wright maybe wants to frame or something one day. Can you just imagine just punching a hole right through the paper because you just got no back there? <laughs> That's something I, I would how I do. managed not to do that. I know. See, that takes good hands. That takes finesse. Add that to the scouting report. Exactly, and then you know. He went a little safe with that first fish toss, but he also was trying to make sure that kids got it and stuff. So I, I, I respect that rather than just checking it up into the stands. But uh, it's something I feel he's going to have to work on a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, but, I, you know, he had a sense of that, too. He was asked, like, you know, how would you rate the first fish toss? He's like, well, not bad given my first time, but you know, hopefully I'll get a lot more practice this year. Yeah. You know, considering he was taken off guard by it, which you could totally tell, <laughs> um, he did okay. He did a good job. And that's what I was saying. He's so comfortable. He's able to take things in stride and do things and, and do stuff. And that's that's really awesome. Um, before we wrap things up entirely here, RJ, and we say goodbye and see you next time or see you later or whatever it is I say, I just instinctively do it. I don't even think about it anymore. Um, just want to give a quick shout out to kind of the newest member of the ECH team. Uh, Jen, all the photos that I've layered in this video that you're seeing, all taken by Jen, who did a fantastic job over this whole development camp cycle. And I'm just so pumped to have Jen on board and to be able to get pictures like this that we can start using, you know, on social media and and using when we're doing videos and stuff. It's just so, so awesome. Yes, it's been great to have those pictures that she takes. I mean, she's done great work um, to use on, you know, social media, on this video, on everything. It just kind of adds a whole nother layer to our coverage. I'm really excited about it. And even better than that was having her company the last four days, Mm -hmm. just having her around. So fun to talk to, so fun to hang out with. Uh, You know, looking forward to uh, lots more photos, lots more time with her going forward. Yep, that is for sure. And with that, RJ, 
Gonna say, see now I'm overthinking it. I don't even remember what I say. I think it's, uh, we'll see you next time.